You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. This morning, the message is entitled, The Paradoxes of Prayer. The Paradoxes of Prayer. And this is number three in your provider. And I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So, Father, I'm praying that I would be able to speak in your spirit, by your spirit, and that in speaking by your spirit, you would reveal to us some of the mysteries of prayer, and that our hearts would be encouraged and strengthened and you would strengthen us in this area. Also, Father, that you would deliver us from worry and anxiety, that we could truly let go and let God work and move and know, know that you are God. So we give this, we give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's put our hands on our hearts and pray this with me. Dear Jesus... Speak to my heart and change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So the paradoxes of prayer are opening text. Our foundation this morning is what Jesus said after he was teaching on worry and not to worry. Do not worry. He begins to sum it up by saying, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the theme this morning is this. Prayer is full of paradoxes, seeming contradictions that are only resolved if we pray in the Spirit. So prayer is full of paradoxes, seeming contradictions that are only resolved if we pray in the Spirit. And I will uh, explain that more. You'll understand that more as we go on. So today's message is inspired by two events this week. Two events this week. And one, I, I think most of you know these events. Uh, we had Bible school on Uh, Monday, and I noticed that when when there was a call of prayer, there was a call to prayer, we had trouble as a Bible school praying. We had trouble praying out loud. Now, part of it may have been that some of us were praying from 5.30 to 6.30, so there was a lot of prayer going in. But when we came to that time, you know, our opening, we were quiet. And what the Holy Spirit put on my heart is we need a a, a renewed emphasis on prayer and the power of prayer, the importance of prayer, and how to pray. Um, So that was one of the things that inspired this week. Another thing is I had a conversation with 
Gideon, uh, it was Wednesday, and one of the great joys of my life is to go out with the kids, and I like to take them out one-on-one. And Gideon and I went to Chermside, and we had a lunch, and we do this and from time to time and with Allie, and I've got a place that I'm thinking about for Eva because she loves, she loves fries. Eva loves fries. <laughs> so there's a, a place that does these great American cheese fries. And Eva does the, she makes her own fries too, and those are the best. She, she makes them in the pan. She's a very creative cook. And uh, so I've got a, a place. I thought this would be perfect. It's not far from us for Eva and I to hang out. Um, anyway, Gideon and I were hanging out and spending time together. And he said to me, Dad, I'm a little bit concerned about your message on uh, last Sunday. It, some of you may have heard a little bit of, of this. And he said, I think Christians need to worry. Uh, think about the parable of the ten virgins. You had five virgins who were not worried about tomorrow, so they didn't store up the oil. And because they didn't store up the oil, when the call came for the bridegroom, uh, the bridegroom was coming, they were not ready. And you had the others that were concerned about the future. And so they got uh, the oil together and they were ready. So he was, he said, I think, you know, we need to be concerned about the future and not fall asleep. And when you're talking about let go, you have to also remember this. And I thought this was uh, very good uh, thinking. Five of the virgins didn't care, but I'd like to kind of clarify some of the things I was saying. Five of the virgins didn't care. They weren't worried about the future. This is the kind of train of thought that Gideon was sharing with me. They weren't worried about the future, and so when the bridegroom came, they had no oil for their lamps. So how does Jesus' teaching about worry marry with his parable about the ten virgins? How do the two marry together? How does the teaching of Jesus about worry, because he clearly tells us not to worry, clearly tells us not to worry in Matthew chapter 6, but then later on in Matthew, he tells us this story about the ten virgins, and Five of them weren't very, they had a laid-back attitude. Maybe they could have said, we're not going to worry. You know, we don't, we'll be fine when the time comes. And they didn't store up the oil, and they got left behind. So how do these two things go together? And Scripture is full of paradoxes. So before I begin to answer the, this question, I want to I say that these types of exegetical questions uh, are questions that we should all ask ourselves, that we should compare Scripture with Scripture, and it's called rightly dividing the word. So anytime there's a subject, usually there's something else to be added, and not everything can be added in one message or one teaching. So it's very important for us to rightly divide the word. This brings us to, let me read to you this parable that Jesus shared, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, 
but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. There's, there's not that intimate knowledge of them. They had not cultivated that intimate knowledge of the bridegroom. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, notice what he says there. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So this is primarily applied to when Jesus returns but it can be applied to many different situations in life. For example, when COVID came and it shook the world and it shook the church, much of the church was not ready for that time. They had not stored the oil. And so many uh, were not ready and they were looking here and there, but they had not cherished or stored the oil beforehand. So we need to see that every message Every teaching, every time of prayer, every gathering should be an opportunity of storing oil. And this is, the oil is the word of God that has been worked in your life. The oil comes from olive, uh, the olive tree, and you have the olives, but the olives need to be pressed, crushed, you know, for the oil to come out. And when the word of God is crushing you, pressed, uh, pressing on you, and it's working and flowing. The Word of God is flowing in your life. That is how you collect the oil, gather the oil. You can't store up the Holy Spirit, so to speak, uh, but you can store up the work and Word of God in you. And so we need to take advantage of every time that we are actually storing the Word in our hearts so that we not so that we would not sin against God. So it's saying here, or well, what Jesus is saying at the end is keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. It seems like everybody thinks they know the day or the hour. And one time I read a book, I might have said this before, but I read a book and the book says, oh, well, Jesus said you, you can't know the day or the hour, but you can know the, uh, the month and the year. And so my prediction is September time, and then something like 1988. But when that didn't work out, it ends up being 1990. And when that doesn't work out, another book ends up being 1994 or 1998. It just keeps on going on and on. And they're missing the point. They're missing the point of the parable. They're missing the point of what God is saying. So, point one this morning is this, keep watch 
but don't fall into the trap of worry. Keep watch, but don't fall into the trap of worry. And then again, we come to that scripture, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So there is a difference between worry and watchfulness. Worry and watchfulness. Worry ensnares you. Watchfulness, and we'll explain more what watchfulness is, is being alert and awake. And it's not falling asleep spiritually and not being dull spiritually. So what Jesus is telling us is not she'll be right, uh, don't worry in that sense, but what he's telling us is to watch Watch out, and don't fall into the trap of worry, but watch and be alert. If you're at home, make sure you please uh, mute your Zoom so it doesn't come through. The speaker's here. Thank you. <laughs> so here's the scripture. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that is how Jesus sums up his teaching on worry. Jesus concludes his teaching about worry with a call for seeking first the Father's kingdom and his righteousness. I'll go back here. So Jesus concludes his teaching about worry with a call for seeking first the Father's kingdom and his righteousness. Now, this takes effort. It takes being alert. It takes being uh, involved. It, there is an, again, there is an effort involved there. Now, Jesus' teaching about worry is not like a government official who says, when there's a flood going on, this made me laugh this week because I won't mention the name, though it's in my notes, with all due respect for the government officials, as there's another flood hitting Queensland and as houses are being inundated and there's rivers flowing through different towns, uh, the government is saying, don't worry, don't be anxious. I was like, are you kidding? Why, why are you saying this? Uh, it sure doesn't sound very comforting. It was a silly thing to say. But th I, I do respect all the government officials and their hard work. They have a very difficult task at hand, and let's pray for them. Uh, Jesus' teaching about worry, though, is different than that kind of like slap on the back, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. Uh, yeah, your house is burning down, but, uh, you know, you'll have brighter days. Jesus' teaching on worry is different than that. Jesus' teaching about worry is different from a human call not to worry. Now, it's good and comforting when you have a friend and they come around you, they put their hand around you and say, don't worry, it'll be okay. That's good when you get it from a friend, somebody that loves you, somebody that cares for you. When you're getting it from somebody that doesn't know you and doesn't care about you, it's another story. And there's a lot of people that will say, ah, don't worry, not to worry. But what I want to bring out here is that Jesus' teaching about worry is different from that. Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> that looked like something to worry about. <laughs> oh, before, okay, before we get into it, did you see this one? The Muppet Show predicted what most women would look like in 2022, back in 1975. Do you remember the, the Muppets, 1975, the 
Here we see these uh, big lips and these eyelashes, amazing eyelashes. Uh, send you to flight if you <laughs> blink your eyes too much. <laughs> Eva uh, figured out a trick that if she put her lips in a, in a bottle and you suck, that your lips would become big. But, but for Eva, it stuck for, it stuck for like a whole day. <laughs> so I, she, she has very sensitive skin. Don't worry about the future. <laughs> Jesus offers the ultimate solution, his kingdom. So when he's telling you not to worry, it's because his kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is everlasting. His kingdom does not stop. And his kingdom overcomes everything we face in this world, whether it be floods or fires or opposition or persecution or lack. His kingdom is what we're put on earth here for, and it's our purpose. So Jesus offers the ultimate solution. So when he's telling us not to worry, he has a true solution, and that is his kingdom. And that's why Jesus calls us to seek the Father's kingdom's kingdom first. That's why Jesus calls us to seek the Father's kingdom first, because it is eternal, everlasting. And then we see how he sums up the parable of the ten virgins. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. And then he says something similar later on, and this is in Gethsemane. And I'll turn over there, Matthew 26. This is what he says to his disciples, Matthew 26, 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So notice how he connects watching and praying. To be watchful means to pray, and to truly pray means to be Keeping watch. I didn't hear enough amens there. <laughs> the two go together. Keep watch and pray. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. So if we slip in watching and praying, you will enter into temptation. Do you see that? But if we keep watching and praying, that's how we keep from entering into temptation. Then he says the spirit is willing. And here he's teaching us that the Spirit is behind us being truly watchful and awake and praying. The Spirit is willing. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But the flesh is weak. So you cannot watch and be alert in the flesh. And you cannot pray truly in your flesh. That's in your own strength, your own wisdom. It takes the Spirit of God to pray rightly. Now, what happened to the disciples and why was he saying this? Because they kept on falling asleep. Look at verse 43. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And all the darkness, all the oppression of this time was making the disciples sleep. 
you could, you know that there was this sense of a blanket of darkness, that it was just before the cross, Garden of Gethsemane, sadness, trials, suffering, a blanket of darkness coming upon them. And this blanket is putting them to sleep. And what happens is when they were meant to stand with Jesus, when he was carrying his cross, when they were meant to stand, they all forsook him and fled. And the reason why they forsook him and, and fled was all because of Gethsemane. They did not watch and pray there. They did not listen. And the same thing happens in our own spiritual lives and our own churches. If we're not watching and praying, when we go through difficult times, dark times, we will scatter. Are you with me? I don't want us to scatter anymore. I want us to, and it's all depending on truly watching and praying. Again, watching is different than worrying. Worrying is what you do in the flesh. Watching is what you do in the spirit. Watching is what you do in the spirit. Watching is different than worrying. Did you see this one? <laughs> Only some people will get this. See if you can look at it and get it. Give it back. I got a lot of laughter out of this one. <laughs> Only some people will get it. Here you have a, a one-eyed tiger, and you got Rocky. And the tiger is saying, give it back. You know the big thing with Rocky was the eye of the tiger, the eye of the tiger. <laughs> I've got the eye of the tiger. <laughs> yeah, this one's a dad joke, right? That was when I was in the second grade, and that song came out, dun, 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 dun. I remember dancing around. That was my, my favorite song, The Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> Donna would have got it. <laughs> so the question is, what is watching? What is watching? Watch Gregorero in Greek means to be alert, where the name Gregory comes from, is from this word. Uh, so watch means to be alert, watchful, awake, and vigilant. So alert, watchful, fully awake, and vigilant. And so the, the Spirit of God empowers us to be alert, to be watchful, to be awake, to be vigilant, to see spiritually Watching and praying means you are spiritually alert, seeing what the Father wants to do and how the enemy seeks to oppose it. Watching causes your prayers to be meaningful. Now, first, when I uh, was studying about watching back in my early days in my Christian walk, I thought it was all about being alert to what the enemy was doing. But then the Holy Spirit began to teach me, and that is that to watch was first to see what the Father is doing. Oh, wow. You know, what, the God, what is God doing? Of course, we need to know what the enemy is doing, but first always is the kingdom, seeking the kingdom. What is the kingdom doing? And in times that are tough, we need to see what is God doing? What is he doing? I see that God is doing a precious work of here, of intimacy, of building his church. Um, there's... 
in times in our lives that are difficult, we need to see what is God doing? What is he doing? And watching causes your prayers to be meaningful. It's also watching what is the enemy doing, but we can't be preoccupied with the enemy. The purpose of knowing what the enemy is doing is so we can guard and we can fight. But always before the fight needs to come the friendship. <laughs> the friendship with God. The friendship and then the fight. And that's how, otherwise we become burnt out. And I, I uh, the Lord led me in prayer, uh, especially my early days. And I'm thinking about when I was first saved. And maybe about the first 10 years here in Australia, I was doing a lot of spiritual fighting. And I was getting weary and worn out. And the Lord had a lot of my prayer be all about intimacy and friendship. And then from there flowed the fighting. And so here I want you to see the different paradoxes in prayer. And we're going to focus on the paradoxes of prayer. That it seems like the two things are opposed to one another but they are actually joined together. But we've got to get the friendship with God first. Right. And, amen, hallelujah. We need to get the friendship with God right. And that allows us to have true eyes to see. It, it gives us true eyes to see. How about this guy? Uh, Never lose your glasses again. He's got this uh, what is that, plastic hook on his head. <laughs> 3M, one of these 3M hooks. Uh, he's got it hooked on his forehead. Never lose your glasses again. I won't mention how many times in our house is, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my glasses? <laughs> but it's, it, it's not, it's, it's, I'll just take the blame for it. <laughs> the good news is when Jesus calls us to watch, he is calling us into the Father's watchfulness. Because the Father is watchful, and I'll show you this. The good news is that when Jesus calls us to watch, he's calling us into the Father's watchfulness. The Father is watching over our lives, and prayer calls us into God's own watchfulness. We see God's watchfulness in one of the classic word plays in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. Let me show it to you. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. Now, it doesn't make sense in the English until you know the wordplay that's happening here. I'll read it first in English, and then I'll put in the Hebrew word. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? Now, notice the word see. Seeing is so important in our spiritual walk. The Lord wants us to see. Watching is about seeing. It's seeing with the eyes of the heart. And one of the things we need to see is how much the Lord has given to us and how much he is to us. Well, here he's wanting Jeremiah to see his word. So what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, this is Jeremiah responding, and I said, I see 
a rod of an almond tree, or you could say it, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What I want to bring out here is that the Father is watching over his word to perform it, to do it. So what God has promised to each of us, what God has promised to his word and to his children, he is watching to perform it. And so when we watch, when we watch and pray, we are entering into the Father's watchfulness because he is watchful, caring for us. But then why does he show him this almond tree? Uh, and then how does this relate to watching? It's because the two words sound similar and they're spelled exactly the same in Hebrew. So you have, you have shaked and, and shoked. Shaked and shoked. So shaked is an almond tree and shoked is to watch. So he's, he's, the Lord is giving this wordplay. And what do you see? And he says he sees a shockade, and the Lord says, that's because I'm shockade. I'm watching over you. And interestingly, the name almond tree comes from this idea of watchfulness because it is the first tree that comes and blossoms before the spring. It's very much like a cherry blossom tree. So in Hebrew, the almond tree and watch are spelled the same. Here it is, and we have shakade here, shakade, or it could be shokade, depending on the vowels. But uh, the sheen and the kuf and the dalit. But behind here, that's an almond tree, and it's in late January, and sometimes in February that it begins to blossom. So it's like the winter time. In Israel, we have different seasons here. We're coming into our winter. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it will tell you that, hey, the spring is coming. The spring is coming. And so it's the idea of this, uh, like a pioneer, a forerunner, uh, a prophetic sign that resurrection life is coming to the earth. So there's all these messages in creation, and the Lord created creation. He created, everything is a miracle. And it has multiple meanings to it. And this is one here in, that we see in Jeremiah chapter 1. Here is the famous Vincent van Gogh, almond blossom painting. And he loved the almonds and uh, the almond tree and its significance. Uh, Vincent van Gogh, uh, before he went down kind of very dark path for himself. He wanted to be a minister. And so much of his paintings, that is an imitation of one of his paintings there in the field. Uh, Anna found it one time. So if you see the Vincent signature, it's not real. <laughs> it's a, what's it? A fan there. It's a, I don't know if you can see it in the background there, but it's a fan, you know, fan imitation art. And so Vincent van Gogh, one of my favorite artists, um, he was inspired. He wanted to be a minister. He was inspired by images from the Bible and in creation in much of his art. 
maybe it went too far. You know, when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it off. And so he cut off his ear because his ear was causing him to sin. That's a really not the, that's a, a misinterpretation of God's word. <laughs> so that's why we need to know the word and how to exegete it properly. The point of this whole vision is that Yahweh is taking care, watching over Jeremiah. He's taking care of Jeremiah. He's watching over Jeremiah to perform his word. So the Lord is always active in our life to perform his word. And Yahweh is doing the same for all his children. He's active and watchful. And when he's telling us to get the sin out of our lives, to be alert, it's because he wants the work of God done in our lives. He doesn't want us to miss out and run away and scatter during hard times and difficulties. So this brings us to the second point. Second point. How are we going? That's good. So pray in the Spirit to unite the paradoxes of prayer. Pray in the Spirit to unite the paradoxes of prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. So we saw that Jesus said our flesh is weak. But the Spirit, the Spirit of God, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. We don't know how to pray as we should. <laughs> say, <laughs> say that. I don't know how to pray. But the Spirit does. And so, you don't have to repeat this part. And so, it's prayer is depending on the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit lead you. Now, if you can pray and you pray depending on the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit, if you can do that, then you're going to be able to also read the Bible in the Spirit. You're going to be able to relate to your family in the Spirit. You're going to be able to fellowship in the Spirit. You're going to be able to witness and share your faith and prophesy in the Spirit. But it first takes learning how to pray in the Spirit. Learning how to pray in the Spirit. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. After that, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what does the Spirit of God do? He helps us pray. He intercedes through us. Uh, sometimes it's they're, they're, or behind even our words is a deep groaning which surpasses words. But it doesn't mean that the Spirit intercedes through us and we just be quiet. We're just quiet and do nothing. We let the Spirit uh, pray through us and empower us. At one time, there's quite a funny story with my uh, mentor, Art Katz. He was old. He was in his 70s, so he could do this. We were in a prayer meeting, and it was early in the morning, and it was down in Lithgow in Australia. 
And everybody was praying in the morning. It was like so dry what they were praying, so boring. It was like there was no life in it. And Art Cat says, stop, stop praying. He says, I'm going to pray. Watch me and listen to me. Pray in the Spirit and follow my example, and you pray in the Spirit too. So which would seem like a, a quite arrogant thing to do, especially from an American coming to Australia. Believe me, this offended the Australians. <laughs> and it would offend a lot of Americans too. He said, watch me pray. Listen to me pray. I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I want you then to also pray in the Spirit. Prayer in the Spirit, to simplify it, it means praying empowered by the Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit lead you, give you the words, give you the wisdom. It does, you don't have to come across uh, impressive. It's your weakness that causes you to depend on the Spirit, and it's the Spirit that then you pray by, and that's how we should sing. We should sing in the Spirit. We should prophesy in the Spirit. We should walk in the Spirit. Everything as believers, we should do in the Spirit. And this also unites the paradoxes of prayer, and I'll talk about the paradoxes of prayer some more. But it's things like, Friendship and fighting, intimacy and intercession, they seem to be opposed to each other. But when you're in the Spirit, you know what to pray for at that time. You know when to uh, be intimate and then when to intercede. Uh, and, of course, inter intercession, when you're interceding, you're actually becoming more intimate with God, too, if you're, if you're doing it right. But you know also, when you're in the Spirit, when to be quiet and silent before God, and then when to speak out. There's a time to speak out, and there's time to speak and pray and be bold. And then there's a time where, you know, we're, we're called to speak out, but sometimes our mouths are uh, fettered. And we're not speaking out. The enemy is keeping us. And we may think, oh, you know, maybe it's time now that I put the uh, silent part of prayer in application. No, no. The Holy Spirit wants you to pray out. You pray out. There's time for silence and a time for speaking out. Do you see that? But these things seem paradoxical, but when you're in the Spirit, you uh, know, you know from the inside what to pray. And then you also learn as you step out and make different mistakes. Uh, but you start, you start to know on the inside. And then it takes... Uh, a whole body like this being in the spirit to really pray effectively together. We were all, and I felt that we were in the spirit this morning as we worship different people prophesying and speaking. And it's like an art to learn, a whole community to learn how to pray in the spirit together. And that means we're all yielded to the Holy Spirit. And this is what I was working on this week. How to pray, and I did one recently, how to meditate, and this is how to pray, seven facets, facets of biblical prayer, seven facets of biblical prayer. Now, I won't go through all of them, but one of the things I want you to see in here is that there is uh, these dynamic tensions, these paradoxes, but I'll go through them, I'll just go through it quickly. 
and you can look at it more later, and I'm going to put it up on, on the website soon. It'll be on brisbanefire.com infographics, but I wasn't able to put it up yet. So the first thing about how to pray is to pray according to God's will. Pray according to God's will. And we're promised that if we pray according to God's will, we can become confident that he hears us. And so this means that we come into that submission, submission to God's will, submission to his spirit, but also we spend our lives getting to know what the Father's will is through his word. And so it's seeking his kingdom first. We're seeking what the Father wants, his will. And so we know what to pray so that when we pray, we're not praying wishy-washy prayers like, oh, Lord, if it's your will to heal that person, <laughs> I've mentioned to you this before, uh, please do it. Uh, no, if, you're, if it's your will for uh, you to provide, please do it. No, you know that God's will is to heal. You know that God's will is to provide. You know, you know that God's will is for people to stay away from sin. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. The more you get to know the word, your prayers become confident, and you're praying based on the foundation of the word, word rather than false humility. So pray according to the word. Amen? And then, two, pray the word by the Spirit. So the word is the fuel for prayer. The word of God is the fuel for prayer. So pray in the Spirit. The word of God will fuel. The word of God will be like oil. It will be like the oil for your prayer to shine out like a lamp. Pray the word by the Spirit. And then, of course, there's that paradox. Uh, so, and people fight over, you know, uh, oh, I'm a word Christian. Another person says, you know, I'm a spirit Christian. <laughs> and there's no conflict. Some people are surprised that, you know, that I even said that. But yes, some people say, I'm about the word. The other person says, I'm about the spirit. But the two go together. It's the spirit of God that wrote the word. So the two go together. And we have to not neglect one for the other. So that's another paradox there. The third thing about how to pray is seek intimacy with God. Seek intimacy with God. And that's at the heart of prayer. If you don't do anything else, do this. Just spend time with God, listening to him and drawing near to him and being face to face with him. And let nothing steal away that intimacy with God. And there's a picture here of the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark is a picture of us coming face to face with God. So seek intimacy with God. And the fourth thing is pray privately, but also with God's people. Another one of these paradoxes is that we could pray privately, but then we don't want to pray with God's people because they could be difficult to be with sometimes. Not anybody here. Those are the people that are not here. <laughs> I'm joking. Planet of Lost Series. But we pray privately and with God's people, and both are needed. Both are needed praying privately and with God's people. And you hear there's a little picture of the day of Pentecost because they were praying together and the Spirit of God descended on them. 
and it was like tongues of fire on their heads. There was tongues of fire on their heads. The other thing with prayer, the fifth thing about how to pray is practice repentance and faith. So in prayer, practice repentance and faith. Repentance is turning from sin, and it's acknowledging that, God, what you say is right, not my way, but your way. Not my wisdom, but your wisdom. And then it's turning your heart and, and hating the things that God hates. You, you have this conviction that what God says is true, and so you're repenting, and we need to spend time in prayer repenting, but also believing that, you know, by faith, God is accepting us. By faith, we can move mountains. So repentance and faith go together. Again, they seem like paradoxes, but they go together. And I have the person here with their hands clasped. Think of it like this. One hand is repentance. One hand is faith. They go together. They need to be interlocked. Repentance and faith. And if we don't practice repentance and faith, there's no way our eyes are going to be washed so that we can see what needs to be seen. Because sin has an effect on us. It dulls us. While Jesus forgives our sins, Jesus does forgive our sins. That's a good thing. And we celebrate his forgiveness. But every time we sin, it dulls our senses so that we become less watchful. And then there is a battle and the process of restoration so we can get to that place where we can stand firm. And this is why sin is very dangerous, that even though he forgives us, it's dangerous if we uh, live in it, and it's dangerous if we commit it because we lose ground. We become dull spiritually. Number six. And again, another one of these paradoxes, pray humbly but with authority. I thought I was going to quickly go through this. I'm developing it a little bit more than I expected. <laughs> so pray humbly but with authority. So prayer, and there's all, you can look up the verses, though. I don't have time to go through all the verses. But one of the reasons why I make all of these things is um, I know that you know this stuff. I'm not, it's like a reminder, but that you can take it and get along with somebody and do a Bible study together or talk about it or use it as tools. Uh, so I want you to be able to use it as tools. Uh, get it from online and, and use them. And So we're building up this whole resource library because I'm believing that there's going to be a great harvest of believers coming in, new believers, new converts. How are they going to grow? Well, we need to be able to have resources and be able to teach them and I can't do it. I can do what I'm doing now, but it needs to be the body. All of us are equipping, discipling, and I am helping do my part, but you can't send them all to me because I'm already overloaded, right? <laughs> so it's all about equipping the saints. Pray humbly, but with authority. So that humility is seeking his face. Uh, it gives us, uh, humility gives us authority. But then here's the thing. We kneel before God, and I've mentioned this before. We kneel before God in humility, but we never kneel before the devil and the world and the spirit of this world. We stand. So out of that place of kneeling, we stand against the devil. We stand against sin. We stand against this world. 
but it comes from first being humble before God. Then we're able to resist the devil. Yeah, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And before it says submit to God, as Donna knows, she's quoting it there. That's good. Yeah, and that's the thing is when you store the word in your heart, when the Holy Spirit is moving and active, he reminds you. And this is the thing is when you're praying in the spirit, all of that oil that you've stored, the oil of the word, when the Holy Spirit begins to flow, it starts to come out of you. You know what to pray. It's like the Lord is quickening it on your heart. The last thing here, and we're almost finished with the message. The last thing here is stand in the gap and fight. Stand in the gap and fight. So around the middle, number three was intimacy with God. But then we have this theme that I've been talking about is we're intimate with God. And then also out of that intimacy, we become intercessors that stand in the gap and fight because there is a battle to be fought. And for anybody to be saved, we're here. We have this amazing view of the city. We can see the people walking back and forth. For them to be saved, we have to fight for their salvation. And we do it in, not by arguing with them, but by fighting in prayer. And so every time we have these times of prayer, let us see it as urgent to pray for family, friends, people we meet, the city itself that we're uh, fighting and standing in the gap. Amen. Now, when we do all this, I guarantee there will be growth. Because the Lord is waiting for us to be serious about this. And we, we are. I'm not saying that we're not. We are. That's why you're here. But even more alert. And when we do these things and we take advantage of every time of prayer, and it doesn't have to be an official prayer meeting. It could be a, you're at someone's house. Or we have times before church or any time we take advantage of it to pray and in that we're standing in the gap and we're fighting so these seven facets pray according to god's will pray the word by the spirit seek intimacy with god four pray privately but also with god's people five practice repentance and faith six pray humbly but with authority and seven stand in the gap and fight and these things came to me when I saw that as a Bible school, some of us were struggling to pray. And I'm thinking, especially the young ones, because we have young ones and they may not have been taught as much on prayer. And you need constant kind of feeding in, in, into you, hearing the same things over and over to, so that you can get your confidence in the Lord. And so that's just what that came out of. Authentic prayer depends on the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead to pray right. And like I said before, to pray as a church, we need to all be in the Spirit together. And this brings us to the last point, which was the morning thought on Friday. You can't rush kingdom growth, but you can water the kingdom through prayer. So we can't rush kingdom growth, and sometimes we get frustrated. Why is not this not happening faster. You can't rush it, but you can water it. And how you water it is through prayer. Now, that's the thing. We've had a lot of rain. What's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of green grass, and the shrubs are going to grow. And when you 
Also, when you pray, you're watering. You're watering. The, you're watering the people. And all of a sudden, they grow and people get saved and there's new life. So this is what was on my heart when I read Psalm 13. Because Psalm 13 says, how long? How long? Psalm 13 is small. It's only six verses. Yet it says, how long? Four times. In six verses, how long? How long? With all God's precious promises, how long will this thing take? And I've been there. And the psalmist has been there too. The kingdom takes time on this earth. You can't rush it. Like a mustard seed, the king's kingdom grows at its own rate. But we can seek the kingdom first, watering its growth. And when you're seeking the kingdom first, it involves prayer and watchfulness, and this waters the kingdom to grow on earth. Many times we will say, how long? Nevertheless, be sure that the kingdom will grow and become the largest plant in the garden. And that's based on another parable of Jesus, Matthew 13, 31 through 32. Did I write it up here? No, but I'm going to turn to it, and that will be our last scripture. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So it's smaller than any other seed, but when it grows fully, it's larger than all the other garden plants. And that's what the kingdom of God is doing now. It's growing. And as it grows, the birds of the air... It's like a, it's a parable. It's a picture. Like people come and find shade in that tree. So let's all stand. Here's, here's the conclusion of the batter. Let's all stand. We're going to stand and we're going to pray and a moment. Authentic, watchful prayer is Jesus' solution to worry. Authentic, watchful prayer is Jesus' solution to worry. It's the kind of prayer that seeks the kingdom first and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't rush the kingdom growth. You can't rush kingdom growth, but you can water the kingdom by spirit-anointed praying. You can water the kingdom by spirit-anointed praying. And we're going to pray. And we'll also invite Anna up to. I'm just going to spend some time. Some time praying. Father, here we are. We're before you. And we thank you for your blood and your mercy and washing us and receiving us. I'm asking that you would open up the eyes of our heart 
that we would know the great hope of our calling. That we would know that the Father is watching over us and we would see, Father, what you're doing. We would see, Father, what you're doing in this church, in our Bible school, in the city, in our families. We would have eyes to see. Make us watchful, Lord. And we know we can't do this ourselves. Holy Spirit, empower us. Make us watchful. And Lord, also give us eyes to see where the enemy is trying to come in so we can stand against him in the name of Jesus. And especially we want to stand against worry and anxiety. We want to stand against worry and anxiety in Jesus' Jesus name. We want to also stand against apathy. The apathy which causes Australians in the church to sleep. We stand against apathy in Jesus' name and complacency. We stand with you, Lord. Make us awake and alert. And even when we don't feel like it, we know the flesh is weak, so there's times where we don't feel like it. Let us depend on the Holy Spirit. Let's be led by the Spirit. Let's be dependent on the Holy Spirit in everything, Lord. Without you, Lord, we can do nothing. We can do nothing without you. Hallelujah. And we want to stand against, there's another thing that was on my heart to pray. We stand against discouragement. Discouragement that comes when we don't see the kingdom growing fast, we can get discouraged. When we stand against discouragement in the name of Jesus, that it would be gone. Send waves of encouragement. Touch our eyes, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus.